Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Open up our series this morning on emotional monsters, and today we're going to talk about the grouch on the couch. How many of you know that uh, if, if, if your approach to everything is anger, and you go and act on anger, it's like, it's, like, it's like thinking that your only tool in this world is a hammer, and the whole world's a nail. And, and, and the idea is, is after a while, people aren't going to like you, and then they're no longer going to listen to you, and then you're going to find yourself alone, and then you're going to find yourself on the couch, then you're going to find yourself with the TV on, and the only person you're yelling at now is the people on the TV. And that's what we call a grouch on the couch. Somebody that gets frustrated with family is a grouch on the couch. And that's not, an away, that's not a way to do life. Everybody in this room is going to get angry. But if you go and act on anger, that's the sin. And that's the issue we're going to deal with today. There's someone in the Old Testament by the name of Moses who is highly gifted leader who God had promised a lot of things to. But because of his frustration with family, he ended up missing his destination and his destiny. He was supposed to see the promised land. And his frustration literally copped him out of it. His frustration caused him to do some things and act in a way that caused him to miss the greatest blessings of God for his life. And I want to tell you, he died alone. Not only did he die alone, the Lord buried him. God was the one that buried him. There wasn't anybody with him. His wife Miriam had died before that, sometime before that, a few weeks, months before that. He dies alone. There's no one there with him. Joshua and Caleb and the rest of the youngsters get to go into the promised land. And he is buried at Mount Nebo. Now, I've been to Mount Nebo. There's a big museum there dedicated to somewhere that Moses is buried. It's a big mountain. Been to the top of it. That's where the museum is. And it's interesting to walk on that ground and say, wait a minute, he's buried somewhere. And to think that maybe you're walking on that ground. You just don't know. They don't know. But he's, he's buried at Mount Nebo. And the thing about Mount Nebo that's really strange is um, not, only, not only is it, at that time it would have been Edom, this would be Jordan. If you look out from Mount Nebo, there's nothing but desolation. There's nothing. It's, it, it's like, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's like, uh, it's like that desert planet, right? Oh, you, thank you, sir. We have enough geeks in here. Tatooine. Hallelujah. Or Dantooine. Okay, hallelujah. Praise God. No amens on that. All right. It's absolutely desolate. You know, kind of where Luke grows up. There's nothing there. If you want to invite yourself out of the greatest blessings of God that he's promised for your life, just stay angry. And just act in frustration instead of dealing with with your frustration with God and then acting in love. Let, let's read this. Numbers chapter 20. Uh, let's look at verse 8 here. It says, You and Aaron must take the staff. Now, before you get to thinking that it's Moses' staff, that's not the staff it's talking about. Okay? It's talking about Aaron's staff. 
This is, this is the priestly staff. This is the staff that has life. This is the staff that was cut off and yet it budded. It was an almond branch that budded even though it was cut off. This was the staff of blessing to gather the people this time, not the elders. This is not the staff of judgment. It's not the staff that Moses used to call down the plagues. It's not the staff that Moses used to turn the water in the Nile to blood. It's not that staff. Take Aaron's staff, the high priest's staff, the priestly staff that would bless people, not beat people. Come on, come on, come on. Take that staff. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You're all my children. It's not that staff. It's a staff of love. It's a staff of grace. It's a staff, staff to gather. It says, take the staff, the staff, hello, and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak. Say speak. Come on now. Now you know this message. You've heard, you've heard messages preached like this before. You know there's another time where this happened. There was another rock. There was another place where they were thirsty. There was another place where they needed water. There was another place where they went three days without water. Three days. Hmm. Crucifixion. Cross. And you know at that place that another staff was used. It was Moses' staff. And you know at that place called Rephidim, right? All the way back at Mount Horeb, at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, Moses was to take his staff and strike the rock. We're not striking the rock anymore because the rock's already been struck. We're not, we're not beating the rock anymore to get the water out. This time we're just speaking. This time, this time we're just speaking. We're not striking. Hello, are you a striker? Is that you? Are you the, are you the kind of person that something happens and you think that anger then empowers you to go do something about it? Instead of talking to God about it and letting God handle it? Are you that kind of person? Please let that go. Please let that, Listen, I spent a solid 10 years of my life trying to pastor that way. Can I just tell you, nobody wants to be pastored that way. Nobody wants to be pastored. You know what people want? They want love. You know what people are going to do? They're going to make mistakes. You know why they're going to make mistakes? Because they're not God. And you know what? You're not God either. And when you pick up the wrong stick, come on. When you pick up the, if you're not looking to gather people to supply them and you're not speaking to God, you're speaking to the people, you're going to be so frustrated, you're not going to supply them, you're going to strike them. And, and, and what happens when sheep are struck? They scatter. And who does that? The devil. Not God. Now you say, Pastor Glenn, are you, are you talking about greasy grace here? You're talking about letting people do whatever they want, stay, stay. You're talking about what, what, letting people just get away with sin? No, 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 no. James says, James even says that we're supposed to correct people. But James says, when you do, think of yourselves first. Get your heart in the right position so that you might go gently. So that you... So that you don't yourself fall into sin. There is a heart condition that we need to be careful of here. So that's the right stick. That's the right staff. A totally different situation is going on here. And watch what happens. Verse 10. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels. Who's he talking to? Who? He's talking, my wife said he's talking to the church. 
Um, Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Can I just give you a little background here? Because everybody wants to pick on Moses. I do too. This is, this is the last year, and it's at the end of the last year of the 40 years of wandering. He's fed up. He has pastored people on the road to nowhere for 40 years. And they murmured the whole way. They murmured and complained the whole entire way. Nobody does that today, I know. But... Trust me, they complained the whole entire way. Not only that, but this is in the same month that his wife, Miriam, dies. He doesn't have his wife anymore to say, hold up, Glenn, hold up. You would have no idea how many times she says that, okay? He doesn't, he, listen, it's been 40 years of this madness. He's fed up, he's tired, it's, it, he's sick of it. So instead of following the directions instead of following the rules and speaking to the rock come on you know what the scripture tells us he does he goes and he strikes it but the bible says he doesn't strike it just once come on he strikes it twice once was god's grace saying wrong wrong you got the wrong stick you got the wrong rod you're doing the wrong thing you're striking you should be speaking you should be gathering to people to supply them, to love them, to give them mercy, to give them grace. (laughs) So he strikes it again. Then God allows the water to flow. This is not a conundrum. God in his mercy and grace, in spite of me, in spite of you, will still supply his people. This is why so many people in the ministry, they fall from grace and then people go, "Well, well, why in the world did... For months and years, with the Spirit moving in the congregation. Because God, in spite of man, will love his people. It's not the person, come on, it's the presence of Jesus that's ministering to people, man. So in spite of you, in spite of me, God still ministers. And God, in his grace and mercy, not just to the people, but to Moses, gives the water anyway. But this is not God's plan. Let me tell you why. I'm going to give you three places here. Then we'll pray, and we'll get a little bit deeper. You see, coming out of Egypt, there are three places where there's a water issue, a water problem. There's a failure in water pressure, if you will. And when you're going through the arid desert in this part of the world, water is like key, it's life. But in the Bible, it doesn't just represent life, it also represents spirit. It also represents the favor of God. It also represents the favor of God. It also represents the cleansing of God. It represents all those things. And so as they're going through the Red Sea, they get to the other side, and the first place they come to is Mara. This place is just on the other side of the Red Sea and what would be the uh, Sinai Peninsula right now. When they get to the other side of the Red Sea, this place called Mara has bitter water. It could be salty water. It could be water filled with bacteria. We don't know, but it is not drinkable. Moses comes to this place, and God says, take a log. Come on, take a log. Think about this for a second. God says, take some wood. I wonder if you're thinking about Jesus at all this morning. Take some wood, throw it into the water. And the Bible says that once he did so, that the water became sweet. I want to tell you that you're sweet this morning because of the cross. You are not sweet this morning because of anything you've done. Some of you think you're sweet because sweet is you. You ain't sweet. You ain't that sweet. You're sweet because of what Jesus did on the cross. The next place they come to is Rephidim. This place is uh, 
really near, if not the actual place near Sinai where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. This is the place where God says to Moses, strike the rock. This rock was struck and out of it water flowed and the people were supplied. Then we get to another place because after that they were supposed to go into the promised land and guess what they did? They didn't go in, right? Just like all kinds of people in your family and in your church family don't do the right thing. Congratulations, Inspector Clouseau. You, you have pointed out another human being. You are a professional pointer-outer. You know that somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. And it's your full-time job to point out what's wrong at church. You are just, oh, you're just so good at that. It's your full-time job to point out what's wrong in people's lives. You are just so good at that. Yeah. And it's your full-time job to point out what's wrong in the family. And then you wonder why nobody likes you. Nobody even wants to spend any time with you. Nobody wants to do anything with you. Because as soon as they get with you, you sit down and within five minutes, you're telling them what's wrong. As if God doesn't already know that and doesn't already have a plan. And then if, as if God stops loving them, even though you have, he hasn't. And so if you're not on God's side, what side are you on? Can you love somebody even though they won't go in? Even though they're supposed to go in and they're supposed to do this and instead they do that, can you still love them? That's tough. That's tough because you haven't spent 40 years with them yet. Okay? I've only done 35 years of ministry. I got five more to go. Come on. 40 years! Family is frustrating. Why do family? Because you're going to get close. What happens when you get close? Contention. Sparks are going to fly. And then you're going to go, well, I don't like them and they don't like me. We don't need to go to church together. Right? Then you go find another church. Guess what you do there? You hide for two years. And then you go, well, let's do family. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's try again. You get a little closer. Don't be shy. You can get a little closer with air at extra dry. And then you get close enough that you go, I don't like something. I found out what it is, honey. I don't like what I see in them. They're a weirdo. So are you. You are just as weird, if not weirder. You think you're not weird? I'm looking at you. You're weird. You're just as weird, if not weirder, than I am. Amen. But we're family. Hush, Craig. I'm going to have to teach you. Hush, hush. We better pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for Craig. Thank you that, God, we love Craig. Thank you that we're family. Thank you that, God, even though we get frustrated with family, we speak to you. We don't strike. God, even though we get frustrated... God, we supply. God, when we're encountering people with problems and predicaments, we call out for your presence, God, and your love. God, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you know the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. So it's not anger that's the sin. It's the, it's the not that's the sin. 
right? It's the knot you get yourself caught up into and wrapped up into. That's the sin. And you decide to go and act on your anger instead of taking your anger to God, chilling out, getting your heart right, and then dealing with the people and the problem and the predicament. Do we often do that? No. We get angry and we think that's a sign we should go and immediately do something. Why? Because we really don't know what anger is. And let me help you with anger. Uh, God God got angry. He's gotten angry before. He has what's called righteous indignation. Most of the time, what you and I think are righteous in our indignation is probably not. Okay? Because we're not God. And we've, got a, we've always got to sort out our bias and our personal application of what's happening. We make things personal, right? Instead of keeping things at a love level where we can help people, we make it personal. So we need to know what anger is. And so um, I'm just going to represent it this morning. Hi, how you doing? Finally, people will listen to my sermon and not sleep. Duana just threw her card that she got into the back row. I love it you're awake. How many years have I preached to sleepers? I now have a device. <laughs> Some of you are like, you're wrong, Pastor. You're wrong, wrong, wrong. Anger is just an alarm to tell you that something's wrong. But it's a stupid alarm. It gives you stupid disease. It makes you dumb dumb. Because it shuts your brain down. The, uh, the frontal cortex of your brain, actually, when you're angry, it doesn't get enough blood for you to even make a step that is even planned out or strategic or that makes sense. You're going to act on emotion now, and you're going to do it with the dumbest brain possible. And that's just your brain, right? Medulla oblongata, young man. Alligators. So many teeth to brush. So what happens is, is I'm going to muffle it a little bit because some of you just can't take it. I look at some of you and I'm like, get, call the ambulance, cardiac arrest. But uh, so what happens is, is you get angry, you go out and, and act on that anger, right? And then somebody goes, well, you think you're the only one that can toot? I can toot. I can toot too. I can toot. I heard your toot. I seen your toot. I'll raise you a toot. Right? And then somebody else sees the two toots, and then they're like, and they're three tooter. Now everybody's tooting, right? Everybody's tooting off. And what you have done is you have come to a place that stinks because everybody toots. And everybody has this toot, this attitude thinking that it's their place to give full vent to their anger. Proverbs talks about that. It says never do that. Never do that. Never make a decision like that. Never open your mouth like that. You can't take those words back. You can't take those actions back. It will, it will be remembered for the rest of your life, your toot. And when you toot people, they're going to toot you back. And then you're going to get in a bigger toot. And how many of you know, I could lay on that thing this morning. And that's the way anger sounds to God. When you treat people with frustration, God goes, that's, ugh. Music to my ears is love. 
they will know you are Christians by your toots. No, by your, by your love. Love's a fruit. Amen? Fruit of the Spirit. So Moses is this guy that uh, God wants to use, but he just keeps getting angry. We know that Moses is used by God way more powerfully than I've ever been used by God, and you as well. He is a guy that when everybody else is freaking out, he's sometimes the only one that prays. He's the only one that goes to God until he's frustrated. Then when he's frustrated, well, there's a series of frustrations in his life. Think about how he was born. Think about how he was born. His mother, Jacobed, hides him, sends him down a stream, down the Nile River, hides him in the bulrushes, right? Then is called forth to raise him, not, of his, not as his mother, but she has to nurse him and raise him, and some other woman gets the credit for it, right? Some other woman gets the Mother's Day, not Jacobed. That's frustrating. Pastor, I never got a pat on the back for what I did. I never got my Mother's Day. I never got my Father's Day. I never got celebrated. Yes, 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 yes. Your celebration is coming. And the greatest is heaven. And crowns. And Jesus sees it all. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Bible has a doctrine called the doctrine of rewards. Think about this. The frustration continues because the baby then is called out of the water and then God draws the man out of the baby because his, of his frustration. He starts to see that he has passion, which is clue to his assignment. Can I just tell you this morning that your anger is, clue, is a clue to the assignment you're supposed to solve on this earth? What frustrates you is often something God's called you, called you in an assignment to solve. So he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And in the process of beating that slave, his passion takes over because he has a passion and an assignment for his people. And instead of using love to solve the problem, let me teach this. What makes you frustrated is often a clue of what you're here to solve on earth. What you love to do is God's way of having you solve it. He has a love for his people, but through frustration he goes and beats the beater. Puts on his wife beater. Walks over to the Egyptian taskmaster and beats him to death. Then buries him. And Moses is on his way. Hello. Frustration took over. Let's go a little bit farther. Then later, God draws the leader out of the man. For 40 frustrating years, he's leading the sheep that belongs to his father-in-law, Jethro. Not the one on the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Jethro, father excellence. That's what his name means. Someone else gets to get the glory. Someone else gets to profit. Someone else is life gets to be on the receiving end of honor not his frustrating then god finally calls him in the burning bush to go back to his frustrating family call them out of egypt and so they follow him 
Some scholars say 600,000, some scholars say 2 million. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? I see you in moments. I don't live with you every single day of my life. You don't either. Thank God. Okay? Thank God. He's with them night and day, night and day. What should have taken an 11-day trip took 40 years. You want to talk about frustration? Nobody's going to make you more frustrated than family. Nobody. It's going to make you more. Everybody's got a crazy uncle. Everybody's got, got a weird old grandpa. Everybody's got a smelly aunt. Everybody. And you might be the one. And it's not just your home family, because, hey, the holidays are coming up, Clark. It's your church family. He's got to lead these people, and he leads the Israelites to the promised land, but because he acted in frustration. Not only do they not get to go in, he doesn't get to go in. And he dies alone. The grouch on the couch, buried by God. I wonder what you're missing this morning in your life because of your frustration, because of your anger. I know you are world famous for telling your boss like it is. You're world, you're world famous for making an appointment and showing up and, and just, just being a straight shooter, man, you're the one that's going to tell everybody what's wrong with the situation. How is that working for you? How is it working for you? Working real well. Well, the Bible says, and people go, yeah? Do you think that's going to change anybody? Can I just tell you something? Pastor, for a while, I, I can really help you with that. You ain't changing anybody. You, you can't. You can't even change you. Best you can do is change a baby's diaper. That's it. You can love them. You can influence them. You can call them through encouragement out of things. But you can't change people. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? At each of these three places where there's a lack of water, Moses is the one that is called by God to act. And do you know what happens the third time? You know, that time at the wilderness of Zen? You know that time that we're reading about this morning where he strikes the rock twice and he does these things he shouldn't have done? Do you know what the people do immediately after that? They murmur and complain again. The only person that pays for it, because they get water, the only person that pays for your frustration is you. I'm on your side. I should, give, I, I should take up a second offering this morning. That's how on your side I am. Nobody is paying for it like you are. And Moses thinks in this moment, by calling them rebels, by calling them out and saying, this is what you deserve. You want water, you'll get it. Oh, can I, can I, can I talk about that area a little bit? Because I guarantee you, you don't get the picture until you got to go there. You just got to go there. And right now there's a little war going on, so it'd be a little while. But you're, you'll be there. You'll be there one way or another. All right? <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, mm, this area of the world, Kadesh Barnea, is just a few walking miles away from a place called Petra. If you've ever been to Petra, you will know that there is a cavern that you can stand in that goes the length of about three quarters of a mile. It is cut out through very, very hard 
Say hard. hard. Say very, very hard. Very, very hard. Rock. <laughs> that was almost like too good. All right. And very, very hard rock. Okay. This rock stands some 90 to 120 feet high on both walls. It's a sheer cliff. When you walk through, it's a very narrow passageway that leads you to an opening that I believe during the tribulation period, God is going to protect the 144,000. It's very narrow. It's, it's, it's straight up on both sides. It's gorgeous. Let me tell you how that was carved out by rushing water. And what will amaze you if you're at that place in that location is there's no water anywhere, Doc. Where's this water coming from? Until you put your ear on the side of one of those walls, you can literally hear it moving. You can hear it moving inside the porous walls on both sides. They've had moments where they've had gully washers that have come through and people early on that went to explore that area died because of the amount of water that would go through that cavern. I want you to see that when you think you're at the driest place relationally with people, God always has something stirring and brewing. He's always got a water supply. He's always got a supply, not just for them, but for you. And he can bring it in a dry place. He can bring it any place you need it. And it's there. You see, this place where Moses strikes the rock twice just so happens to have a geological anomaly. And that is water gets held up in the porous areas of that of that area and when when he hit the the rock probably literally the second time it probably shook it up just enough to release all that water all at once and it wasn't just a trickle it wasn't a trickle it was like trying to get bobby to drink from the fire hose man <laughs> it's my best impression of it this, this is something that I want, us to, I want us to see because often we think we're at a dry place in our marriage and God says, it ain't dry. It ain't dry. I got water. You think you're at a dry place at your church and you think you're at a dry place at work. You think you're at a dry place in your neighborhood and you think, I got to get out of here. There's no water here. And God says, I got all kinds of water for you. I got enough to blow you down and carry you away. Hello. Now, the interesting thing about that area that makes it different from the word rock that you find over in Exodus, the Numbers chapter 20 rock has a different word. It's not the Hebrew word suzer, which means rock. It is the word, watch this, selah, which means high rock. Come on now high rock when moses went and struck this rock he's supposed to speak to it how many of you know that <laughs> I, it's just my imagination but and i'm not saying this is in the bible this is book of glenn so come on don't email me no pastor i've studied hebrew for 15 years and i know okay yeah 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 but can i have a little fun too just a little side note here Imagine all that water pressure being built up in that area in a porous environment that's been sucking in water for years and years and years with no way out. And imagine all it probably could have taken was, was the sound wave. Was the sound, was just, 
He could have literally just spoke and it had been enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw you back. Well, then, Pastor, well, then why did he have to hit it twice for it? Because the first time God said, don't flow, I'm going to give him a shot. Maybe Mr. Frustrated here will remember that I said, speak. All right, now you're with me. He could have just spoken. It would have been enough vibration to go, whoa. Then the people of God would have gotten this message, a lifetime of a message, but they would have gotten this message. You say, Pastor, I don't see any message other than get a piece of the rock. This isn't prudential. What are we talking about here this morning? Pastor, is there a message this morning? Please wrap it up because the message I've got coming is lunch. In Mara, the log, the cross came. In Rephidim, one was stricken and beat on the cross. What God wanted to tell his people was, because the cross has already happened, because a perfect man who was also God was beaten on that cross, the next time you get a piece of the rock, all you have to do is speak. All you've got to do is speak, not strike. All you've got to do is speak and then supply someone with grace and love and mercy. All you got to do is speak now because this rock isn't just a rock. It isn't a low rock. This is, come on, Selah. This, not Selah, which means to pause, but Selah. It means high rock. The rock now isn't on the cross. The rock now doesn't need to be beat again. The rock, now, come on, the rock, there is, listen, it, we're past the cross. We're past the beatings. Now he's high and lifted up and he will give us he will give a supply into that dry situation and all you've got to do is speak Amen. come on give God some praise come on really mm. so <laughs> well I struggle with your typology this morning pastor all right New Testament first Corinthians 10 4 and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. The reason why Moses was supposed to speak in his frustration, not to the people, not to the predicament, not to the problem. You see, back to this high rock thing, this metaphor. The solution is always at a level higher than the problem the solution is always higher it's not at the same level that the problem was created let me tell you where let me tell you why you have to rise above it because that's where God is you have to rise above it so the solution is always higher than the problem and listen his ways are not your ways or my ways so you need time with him so that you can be where he is before you even address the situation with someone you've got to be where he is so in order to solve the problem you must go Salah you must go higher because it's where God wants you to be to supply his people God wanted his people to hear the story and the story would be the cross and one beaten at the cross and the story would be now that rock is in a high place 
and that high place will always provide. I got like a million other things to say. Like, I really do. But, but next week is good, okay? Because I love to get in the river, and for me, it's a lazy river. <laughs> next, next week is good, and who knows what? God will change my mind for that too. That'd be fine. I want to close with this. I want to close with this idea. So we need to move into communion. I want to close with this. <laughs> Let me tell you why you beat other people up with your words. Because you beat you up. Because you beat you up. And you think, you think that's the way this works, frustrated Christian. You think the way this works is, I did something wrong, I should beat myself up for it. In the shame and in the guilt and in the processing of that in my life, I'll do it again if I'm not hard on myself. Let me teach you something about sin. If you get into that shame cycle, you will sin more. Not less. I don't know who I'm talking to. What's going to change you is his... Can I tell you something? Jesus literally said about a woman who scandalously busted through a room to break open an alabaster box, letting down her hair to people who are... Watch this. They're not seated at a table. This is an American table. They are laying on their sides, enjoying a meal, and she scandalously lets down her hair. She has a prostitute background breaks open an alabaster box and begins to anoint his feet and cry and then take her hair. And everybody in the place goes, that shouldn't, you can't do that in church. You know what kind of, back, I cannot believe you, you did that. And I love what Jesus in the midst of that, it's in the book of Luke, Jesus says in the midst of that, for those who know how much they're forgiven, Right? Show even more love. It's not the shame and the guilt that's going to get you to show God more obedience and love. It's knowing His love and just how much He loves you and pours out and lavishes His love upon your life. That's what's going to cause you to walk away from this world and fall in love with Jesus and walk in righteousness. Come on, church. I beat myself up, so don't you do anything wrong. Because if I beat me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat on you too. I'll beat on you. And here's what's so terrible about that. When you beat yourself up, you're saying the cross wasn't enough. You're saying it wasn't enough, God, that Jesus took the nails for me. It wasn't enough that he took the stripes for me. It wasn't enough that he wore a crown of thorns. It wasn't enough that they divided his garments. He was crucified in the nude. It wasn't enough for him to have all that shame. I got to have a little shame too. Because if I don't have some shame too, well then I ain't going to change. Let me tell you something. The beating he took was enough. It was enough. Can I just tell you? It's enough. Stop beating yourself up. Because if you beat up yourself, you're beating on the body of Christ. And when you beat up others, you're beating on the... You're beating on the body of Christ. You're, you're striking the rock. 
God says, you know what? You're not in line. You're not, lined, you're not lined up with my feelings towards you. And you're not lined up with my heart towards others. My heart towards others is grace and mercy and love. It, it's not judgment yet. You know what Moses and Aaron represented? You don't know. That's why I guess I'm here for a moment. But I'm going to say it and you're going to go, oh yeah, I knew that. Okay. They represented both of God's natures. God is a priest that loves you. And the stick he chooses has life. And it draws you. Do you know why at the first time they called the elders, not the congregation? Rephidim, where God said, strike the rock this time. And Moses, we're going to use your staff. And Moses, it's going to be judgment. Judgment came on Jesus. And do you know why the elders were invited and not the congregation? Let me tell you. Because it was the elders that were there that crucified Jesus. Caiaphas. Sanhedrin. The second time, he says, no, 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 no. Not elders this time. Call the people. And don't pick up that stick. Pick up this stick. Pick up the rod. The one that draws my people to supply. They're thirsty. And I've got everything they need. Pick up the, the rod that budded. That has life. Oh, let's speak life. Let's speak life. You start with pastor. Speak life to me. Even when I'm a complete weirdo. Just go, hey, I love you. Speak life. And then I'll go, wait a minute. I think I've been a weirdo. Because I told him to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Speak life. Love people. You know? Go higher, not lower. Get yourself into the supply of God, the blessings of God. <laughs>